Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to One Family Church from all over the world. Thank you to those of you who are here presently. We have some of our leaders and team members here in the building today. I want to take a moment before we launch into the sermon, and I want us collectively to pray uh, for the family and the friends of Kristen Witted. Uh, if you're from St. Louis, you have probably read the news stories of Kristen, who was killed um, uh, by stray gunfire between two other parties as, as she was driving down the highway uh, on Monday. And uh, Kristen is a member of our church and uh, has been involved and participated in, in various uh, ministries at One Family Church. And our hearts are grieving for her loss and for her family and her friends. So I just want to take a moment and, and let's just pray wherever you are, if you're here in St. Louis or if you are uh, somewhere where you, you don't even know about this situation, um, I would just ask that you join us in prayer uh, as the family and friends of Kristen grieve her loss. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, the way that you are faithful even in the midst of heartbreak, the way you are faithful even in the midst of tragedy, the way that you are here even when you seem remote. I pray, God, for the family and friends, the children, the grandbaby, uh, the parents, and the loved ones of Kristen Witted. I pray, God, that your presence would bring comfort and would bring peace. I pray that you would bring um, justice to those who caused harm to her, and I pray that you would bring hope into the hearts of those who grieve her loss. I pray, God, that um, somehow in the midst of this tragedy, that your name would continue to be glorified. And we put our trust in you. When we don't understand, uh, we, we just seek the peace that passes understanding. And so we ask God that you would be with us presently today uh, and be with those who loved Kristen. Uh, to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I also want to let you know, we actually have uh, some something planned for you for this Christmas Eve that I think is going to be beautiful and is going to be meaningful to you and your friends and your family. If you have not received information about it, then you need to give me your email address um, because we sent out an email yesterday uh, or a few days ago, rather, um, with all of the information uh, about the, the, the Christmas Eve event. Um, the, there'll, there'll be more emails following up with details, but we're going to have a drive-through Christmas Eve event this Christmas. And there's going to be live animals. There's going to be actors. There's going to be a nativity. There's going to be lights. There's going to be candles. We're going to hand out communion pods and candles and uh, a special gift of holiday cheer for you. We've got stuff for your kids. We've got stuff for your teenagers. You got to come through the drive-thru on Christmas Eve, get all this stuff, go home because then we're going to live stream a service at 7.30 on, uh, on Christmas Eve and we're going to take communion together with the communion that we handed out at the drive-thru event. We're going to light candles together with the candles that we handed out at the live event. And so we just invite you uh, to come, invite your neighbors, invite your friends. If you don't have that information, um, please fill out a connection card. It's in the description. It's in the chat. Let us know your contact information so we can get you all the details about Christmas Eve. You're not going to want to miss that. I also want to say this to everybody who um, took seriously the 
request of our pre-service hangout hosts, Kim and Barry. Uh, so many of you invited your friends and invited your family to join us for these services that literally there have been thousands every week, thousands of people viewing our YouTube service and, and our services on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, the gospel is being proclaimed to people that we have no idea where they are, who they are, and they're watching these services. They're being blessed by them. Why? Because you invited them, and we thank you for that. Uh, and the last thing I want to let you know is today at 1045, I'm going to lead uh, step one. I'm going to lead our membership session. So if you've been hanging around and you're watching this service today, but you're not a member of One Family Church, join us at 1045 today. There's a live Zoom call that, we're, that I'll host at 1045, and I'm gonna lead you through step one. This is how we join the family. This is how we make a commitment to follow Jesus within the context of his body, within the context of his community. So I invite you to join us for step one today at the end of uh, this message. Amen. All right. Who's ready for part three of feeling the pressure? Anybody ready to dive into this thing? Come on, we're gonna do this today. Um, we're, we're, uh, we're in a series where we are looking at the different characters, the different individuals that participated in the birth of Jesus in one way or another. And we're looking at the pressure that they experienced because what we can learn from their experience is that even though we experience pressure during this time in our life, uh, the theme of this series is that the power within you is greater than the pressure upon you. Uh, and so there's a, a scripture verse that's our anchor verse from 2 Corinthians. Um, it says this, it says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Then down in verse 16, it says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, meaning that the pressure is upon us, it is wearing us down, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. The power within you inwardly is greater than the pressure upon you. If you get nothing else out of this series, out of this sermon, take that, take it to the bank, write it down, live it out. God is with you. Today, we're going to look at the kind of pressure that we face when we allow our hearts to bow to kings other than God. We're gonna look at the pressure of uh, an individual from the birth of Jesus named King Herod, who was a counterfeit king. I'm gonna start with Matthew chapter two. Follow along in your Bibles uh, with me. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Somebody say King Herod. King Herod, king Herod okay? Remember that. During the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east, probably from uh, the Parthian Empire, these were probably Zoroastrian astrologers, wise men from an eastern region uh, east of Israel. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, here's what they asked Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now somebody say born king. Born, born king. Okay, so let me just stop for a minute and just say this. We've got King Herod. They come to King Herod and they say, King Herod is the king of the Jews. King Herod was, was, was appointed by the Roman Senate to be the king of Judea, to be the king of the Jews. 
So when the Magi come and they say, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? You see, there's a conflict because a kingdom can only have one king. And if you're the king of a kingdom and somebody says, hey, we want to know where the real king is. Where's the one who was born king of the Jews? And you know you were appointed king of the Jews, but you're not the real king. This is going to cause a little tension. Let me say this. Your heart can only have one king. When you bow your heart to any king other than the true king, then that king is a counterfeit king. When you bow allegiance, when you pay allegiance, when you uh, uh, succumb to the rule of anything in life other than the one true king, you are bowing to a counterfeit king. The Magi said, we saw his star rise and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, Scripture says he was disturbed. He was stirred up. He was upset and all of Jerusalem with him. It's interesting that Jerusalem was upset. They were upset because he was upset. And they knew that when the king gets upset, it's going to upset everything. So they're upset because he's upset. And when he's upset, everybody gets upset, right? Because he's going to cause chaos wherever he goes. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He says, I want to know where this king is. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied because they had read the Old, uh, Old Testament, they had read the prophets. They knew the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He wants to know exactly where and exactly when. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him also. In other words, he didn't tell him his true intention. He didn't tell him his true motives. He had an ulterior motive. Tell me where that king is going to be born because I want to crush him because I want to be the king. No, no, no. Tell me where the king is born so I can go and worship him also. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Next week, we're going to talk about the star. We're going to talk about the Magi. Today, we're going to focus on King Herod. They went, and the star uh, stopped over the place where the child was. They went, they worshiped the child, and then you go down a few verses. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Scriptures. He was, now he wasn't just stirred up. He was, he was major stirred. He was ticked. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. He said, if I can't find that king in particular, I'm going to find anybody who fits that profile and I'm going to kill them all. Today, I want to spend the next few moments speaking on the subject of counterfeit kings. Counterfeit kings. Let's pray one more time, and then we'll just dive right into this sermon. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it transforms our hearts. We pray, God, that your spirit would be palpable in this room, in this place, and in the living rooms, and family rooms, and vehicles, and cars, and on the walks that people are taking right now. Let your spirit be present 
Uh, Let your word sink into our heart. Let it be transformative. Let it reshape us. Let it renew us. Let it rebuild us, God, into the image of your son. Let us repent of the counterfeit kings in our life. Let us bow our hearts before you, serve you, and you only. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Question. Anybody ever been uh, the recipient of an email scam? Anybody ever gotten an email scam? Scam email, not just a spam email, but like a, like a scam email, the ones that try to extract something from you, right? Scam emails, there's a, there's a very popular variety of scam emails. They're called the advanced fee scam. And these have been around for literally hundreds of years, long before email, they, they did it with snail mail. The advanced fee scam goes something like this. I got a ton of money that I wanna give to you, right? for an advance fee. I just need you to give me a little bit of money for the administrative costs of giving a lot of money to you. It's called the advance fee scam. A lot of times, the scammers will disguise themselves or counterfeit themselves as a member of of the royalty, right? Of some some tribe or some country. The the notorious one is is a Nigerian prince, right? I'm a Nigerian prince and I I need you to, but they uh, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. There's the French nobleman, there's the German aristocrat. Uh, there is the member of the aristocracy from some you know, obscure place in the world. And it doesn't matter. Uh, what they say essentially is, and, and I'll, I'll give you like a, like, a, like a version of one, okay? It, it usually goes something like this. Dear sir or madam. So if you ever get an email that addresses you as sir or madam, best thing to do is go ahead and delete that email right there. Don't, don't go any further with that email. Dear sir or madam, I am Prince so-and-so, son of the late king such and such, and such from the uh, uh, kingdom of who's he, what's it, right? And my father has recently died. The king has died. And I have this enormous amount of wealth, but I can't get it out of the country. I, I need somebody's help. I have chosen you because you are known among your friends to be a respectable and honorable person. So I'm wondering if it would be possible for me to transfer my money, my hundreds of millions of dollars of gold and diamonds and jewels into your account for safekeeping. And for your trouble, I'll give you a million dollars, right? And all I need from you is your name, your bank account, your routing number, social security number, uh, and $1,000 to make the advance. And I, I know that none of us watching uh, would ever fall for a scam like that, right? Not, not, but thousands of, peop- thousands of people do every day. That scam still works. Hundreds of millions of dollars later, that scam still works. In fact, uh, recently, one of the notorious Nigerian princes was arrested recently. It turns out that he was neither a prince nor uh, a Nigerian. He was a 67-year-old money launderer named Michael New from Slidell, Louisiana, right? Uh, so so he, he was, uh, like all of these scammers, he was what we would call a counterfeit king. Now, we wouldn't fall the, for that kind of scam, but I wonder, I wonder if our hearts don't occasionally bow to a counterfeit king. I wonder if our souls don't occasionally bow and worship a counterfeit king. A counterfeit king is anyone or anything other than God that you believe will fill the longing, the aching, the hunger in your soul. That's what a counterfeit king is. A counterfeit king is anything or anyone other than God that you believe will bring you a sense of value 
a sense of dignity, a, a sense of respect, a sense of identity, anything other than God that you are seeking to draw into your life that you believe will make your life right. That's what a counterfeit king is. In fact, a, a, a counterfeit king is, is what you would use to finish the following statement. My life would be right if only fill in the blank. Whatever you fill in the blank with is your counterfeit king. My life would be right if I were a better preacher. If, if I were a better, my life would be right if only I were a better preacher. My life would be right if only I were a better father. My life would be right if only I had had a better father. My life would be right if only I had a better career opportunity than the one I'm currently in. My life would be right if only I made the kind of money that my friends made. My life would be right if only I could have a child. My life would be right if only I had not gotten pregnant so young. My life would be right if only I could find the man of my dreams as a husband, if only I could find the woman of my dreams as a wife. My life would be right if only I hadn't gotten married so young. Whatever your if only, whatever follows your if only, and it could be something good, if only people understood me, if only I had a better relationship with my children. If only I had a better relationship with my parents. If only I was a better Christian. If only I followed Jesus more faithfully. It can be a good thing, but whatever comes after if only, if it's not Jesus, it is a counterfeit king. You see, Herod was a counterfeit king, and he became a counterfeit king because he worshipped counterfeit kings. He worshipped at the idol of pride. He worshiped at the idol of power. He worshiped at the idol of prestige. He worshiped at the idol of applause. He worshiped at the idol of fame. He worshiped at the idol of what he, he bowed down to counterfeit kings to fill the emptiness in his soul. And as he did so, he became a counterfeit king to the people of Jerusalem, to the people of Judea. He became a counterfeit king. When you read the story of Herod and you read the history of Herod and you read Josephus and all of these historians that talk about this, this king uh, in, in, um, in Israel at that time, what you see is a man who progressively worshipped counterfeit kings to the point that his life became so corrupt. There are details about his life that I, I don't even actually feel comfortable saying out loud on this video. <laughs> Research it yourself. I'll tell you some. Uh, when he thought that his teenage brother-in-law was a threat, his teenage brother-in-law, his wife's brother, was a threat to his son, to his throne, he had his teenage brother-in-law taken to a pool and drowned by his men during a party. When uh, he began to be afraid that his wife's grandfather was a threat to his throne, he had, he had her grandfather executed. When this upset her, he began to wonder whether she was betraying him. He had her executed. He had her mother executed. He had their two sons strangled. He had his third son put in prison and executed. This is a man who over his life became so corrupt by worshiping at the altar of power and applause and praise. So desperately did he want to fill this void in his life with counterfeit kings that his life became utter 
ruin and desolation. In fact, the, uh, the emperor um, Augustus once remarked, I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son because Herod wouldn't dare kill and eat a pig because then uh, the, the, his Jewish followers would look down upon him and he just, he loved the applause uh, of, of, the, of the Jewish aristocracy. So a pig in his court was safer than his own son. He was a counterfeit king. He knew it. So when the Magi came to him, when the, when the wise men came to him and they said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? This cut Herod to the bone. He had been appointed king by the Roman Senate, but he hadn't been chosen to be king by God. See, in Israel, to be king, you have to be the son of the lineage of David. You have to be anointed by a prophet. You have to be chosen by God. And, and Herod was none of those things. He was none of those things. He was given the title by the Roman oppressors thousands of miles away. And here's what Herod knew. Here's what the Magi knew. Here's what God wants us to know. Counterfeit kings are appointed, but the true king is anointed. Counterfeit kings are appointed. They can be chosen by man, but the true king of your heart is anointed by God. Let me, let me give you a quick illustration of what I mean. Um, I recently went to get my car serviced, and I decided that it would be wise of me to take off my house key from my ring uh, when I dropped the car keys off because I needed to get back into the house. So, so I took off, took off my house key, and I gave the, the car keys to the car guys. Took my house key, went home, went in. Next day, when my wife was taking me to pick up my car, I left my house key in the house. I forgot about it. So my wife takes me to pick up my car. She locks the door behind us. I go to the car place. I pick up my keys. She's got to go run errands and take care of business. I go home. I get out of my car. I walk up to the house. I'm fidgeting around with my keys until I finally realize I don't have the key, the one key that I need to get into this house. I've got all these other keys. These are good keys. These keys are good. They're, 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 they have value. I could choose any of them, but there's only one that's going to work. See, in our life, when we want to fill that longing, when we want to fill that void, when we seek the value and the respect and, and, and the sense of worth that we need in our life, a lot of times we will choose things that we think might bring those to us. And no matter how good they are, they can be good things, but they will not, they're not the thing that was designed to bring you hope, to bring you salvation, to bring you joy, to bring you peace beyond understanding. They weren't the one thing. Jesus said, I've got one thing. I want your heart to bow before the one that I anointed. When you submit your heart to Jesus, that is the only king that can satisfy your soul. He's the only king that was anointed for that purpose. In fact, when Jesus came and began to preach in uh, Capernaum and Nazareth and Galilee, uh, one of the very first messages that he gave was in, in a synagogue where he, where he opened up the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61. And that passage says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has 
He has called me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to bring liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison of them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, I've been anointed for this purpose. You, you could choose whoever you want, but God anointed me for this purpose. In fact, that's what the word Messiah means. It means the one who was anointed by God, the one who was anointed with oil, the one who was chosen to be your king. Jesus has been chosen to be the one king of your heart. And what we know and what every single one of us knows is that, especially during this time, I don't know about you, I'll speak for myself. During this time, when we have pressures, family pressure, church pressure, friendship pressure, um, school pressure, money pressure, when all of these other things start to come around, my heart can run astray. And suddenly my heart is bowing down before some false king. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the wrong key in the lock. And I am bowing down before something that isn't God. And when I do that, I find that I am ultimately empty. I'm locked out of the presence. I'm locked out of the joy. I'm locked out of the power of God. Unless I stop and say, God, you are the king. You are the one that was chosen for me from before the foundation of the earth. I was chosen by you. You were chosen for me. I can appoint whatever I want in my life to bring me hope, but there's only one that is anointed. Scripture says, unless the Lord builds it, those who labor, labor in vain. You can work. And I, I, don't, want this, I don't want this to seem like I'm, I'm preaching to non, just, just non-believers. This is Christians. This is Christians. If I work harder, if I pray harder, if I read harder, if I do this, if I do that, God, no. God's saying, look, it's, it's, not, it's not you. It's not about you. It's about me. I am the, I need your heart. I need you to submit your heart to me and let me in. Magi come, tell Herod what they're doing. Herod called the Magi secretly, it says, and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Now, you know, I know, the Magi knew, Herod knew. He had no intention of worshiping the Messiah. He had no intention. He was a false king. He was a counterfeit king. Counterfeit kings lead by deceit. The true king leads by design. Counterfeit kings have to lead by deceit. They have to write checks they can't cash. They have to make promises that they cannot fulfill. Uh, I recently read the story to my children, Hans Christian Andersen's uh, uh, the, the Emperor's New Clothes. And it's a wonderful tale. If you've never read it, it's a beautiful tale about this very prideful emperor who all he wants is the applause and the praise of other people. And so what, what he does is he, he dresses up in, in royal garb and he, he has a different outfit for every hour of the day. And, and he just walks around. He, just, he wants to be applauded. He wants to be loved. He wants to be admired and respected by everybody. And, and so these two swindlers come to um, the, 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 the village and they say, to the king, they say, oh, we can make you garments out of this very special weave, this very special um, fabric. 
And what's so amazing and, and splendid and magnificent about this fabric is that um, everyone can see it except those who are unworthy. Those who are unusually stupid, those who are unsuited for their job, those who aren't worthy can't see it, uh, but everyone else can. And the king says, oh, I would love to have an outfit made of that because I want to know which of my subjects is unworthy. I need to know who's unworthy, who's not good at their job, who's not doing right. So they say, oh, well, we'll make, we'll make you. We'll make you this outfit. So they set to the looms, they set up the looms and they extract a bunch of money from the king and they start pretending to make these clothes. The king sends noblemen to check on the clothes. The noblemen come into the room where the weavers are not weaving, pretending to weave, and they don't see anything on the looms, but they're afraid to say anything because if they say anything, then they will be deemed unworthy. They'll be known as fools. So they say, oh, beautiful. These are beautiful. The patterns, the colors, gorgeous, right? They come back to the king. They say, oh, the clothes are going to be fantastic. You're going to love them. They're fantastic. They're really great. King comes, walks into the room, looks at the empty looms, can't see anything, and, and thinks to himself, oh my God, if I let anybody know that I can't see this, then they're going to know that I'm unworthy of my office. I'm unfit for my position. I'm a fool. So he says, man, those are gorgeous clothes. I cannot wait to put those on. They say, well, go ahead. Let's put them on. Take off your clothes. We'll put these on. We'll walk down a parade. We'll have everybody come out and look at your splendid new clothes. The king says, this will be great. So he takes off his clothes. They come around. They pretend to button on things. People are pretending to pick up the train and people are straightening the pretend wrinkles and he's standing there in his underwear with nothing on at all. And he's, and they say, here we go. They have a parade. He starts marching down the middle of the street. Everybody in the village has to pretend that he's wearing these splendid clothes, otherwise they'll feel unworthy. So now everyone's going, oh, this is so beautiful, so beautiful. Until a little child steps out into the street and says, he's wearing nothing at all. And of course, when the child says this, everybody in their heart knows that the child is right. They just can't say anything because it was their pride that allowed them to deceive themselves. It was the king's pride that allowed him to be deceived and then to deceive others. The reason we are deceived by false gods, by counterfeit kings, is that we want to allow ourselves to be deceived because to not be deceived means we would have to surrender our pride. It means we'd have to say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I've been searching and grasping for things in places where they cannot be found. And all the things that I'm grabbing a hold of are empty and vacuous and void. And they have no power and they have no beauty and they have no strength. And I'm trying to fill my life with these things and it's not working. You'd have to say, I'm naked. I have no clothes. I'm naked before you. I, 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 I'm barren. I'm poor. I'm impoverished. That's what it would require. You see, the counterfeit king leads by deceit. The true king leads by design. The prophet Micah put it like this. He said, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old even from everlasting. In other words, God is saying, I'm sending a child to point to all of you and say, he's not wearing anything at all. He's 
got nothing on his own. His own strength, his own power, his own prestige, his own money, his own wealth, his own activity, his own performance. None of that is getting him where he thinks he needs to go. I'm going to send a little child to expose the brokenness and the nakedness of us all. And by the way, this is Micah. I've planned this from everlasting. I've planned, I've planned this from time immemorial. I knew you were going, I knew the mistakes you were going to make. I knew the failures that you were going to engage in. I knew the way that you were going to grasp at things that couldn't bring you ultimate hope and satisfaction. I knew how you were going to do this. So I designed from time immemorial to send a king, a child, to bring hope, to bring salvation, to bring peace. And I'm sending him to you in the form of a child. When Herod realized that the wise men had escaped, that he had been outwitted. The scripture says he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under. In the end, Herod could not save anyone else. He could not save himself. So he did what counterfeit kings always do. Counterfeit kings bring ruin. The true king brings redemption. Counterfeit kings will always destroy everything they touch. They will destroy everyone who worships them. They will destroy their followers. If, you are, if your heart is following a counterfeit king, your heart will be broken because your counterfeit king cannot supply the thing that he promises. Cannot supply what he promises. I, I'm going to close with this. I, I, um, a few years ago, I had the honor a couple years ago of going to Israel. And um, a, a friend of ours um, paid for our trip to Israel. And it was a powerful and life-changing experience for me. Uh, absolutely transformative. Uh, and one of my favorite places to visit was this place called Masada. Masada was this work of architectural genius that was atop this very high plateau out in the desert that was built by Herod. And um, the Herod that we're talking about. Uh, and th this thing was, was a marvel. It was, it was incredible. It had two palaces on it, this fortified uh, a wall all the way around it, and it was all the way up on, on, a, on a plateau. You can still go up there today. Um, and you could just imagine the, the incredible amount of money and time and work and energy and, and, and uh, um, uh, engineering that went into this project. It was genius. It was absolutely genius. Um, and we walked through it, and... Um, there, there were these stones lying all around on, on the ground. And so I asked, the, I asked the guy, I said, can I pick up a, can I take one of these stones with me? And he said, yeah, we, we got nothing but rocks up here. Take all the, rock, take all the rocks you need. So I, I picked up this rock and I brought it home with me because this rock, this rock reminds me of what results from a counterfeit king. Because it, if you go to Masada today, all you're going to find is ruins. Stone upon stone, broken down, stone upon stone. All of this work, all of this ingenious masterpiece, all of this is nothing but rubble. Herod built a, a, another exquisite masterpiece. Some people say that it should be considered the eighth wonder of the world. It was a port at a place called Ceres, uh, Caesarea Maritima. And, and it was this incredible port that went out into the ocean and surrounded and ships could come in. 
If you go there today, you look out at Caesarea Maritima, all you see is rubble. All you see is ruins. You go south of Jerusalem, Herod built this, a, a massive temple, a massive palace down into the hole of a hill, another architectural masterpiece. He named it after himself, Herodium. You go there today, it's nothing but ruins. It's nothing but rubble. And then the crowning achievement of, of Herod's life was the temple in Jerusalem. Impeccable construction. Beautiful, marble. You could see it from miles away. You go there today, it's ruins. There's actually a mosque sitting on top of it. Everything that he built was gone, was broken, was in shambles. Everything that a counterfeit king touches, he ruins. But when the true king of your heart touches your life, he brings redemption. I, I, I want to close by just giving you a picture of the final days of, of Herod. Historians tell us, Josephus and others tell us, that his body was racked with fever. His skin was, was infected with boils from head to toe. Rashes, swelling, he had gangrene, he couldn't breathe, he had uh, uncontrollable itching over every square inch of his body, doubled over in abdominal pain, writhing in delusional torment day and night. It became so unbearable for him that when a servant inadvertently left a dull fruit knife in his uh, room, uh, King Herod grabbed the fruit knife and tried to kill himself. But rather than repent on his deathbed, rather than say, God, I'm sorry for the murder and the mayhem I've caused, he sent his guards to Jerusalem to round up all of the royal nobility. And he said, I want you to bring them down to Jericho. And when I die, I want you to slaughter them all so that there will be weeping and wailing throughout Israel, even if it's not for me. Everything a counterfeit king touches in your life, he will ruin. Compare that to the death of the true king. The scripture says that like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Looking down upon his tormentors, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Prophet Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgression and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep, it says, have gone astray. We have turned away, everyone. We've turned away to counterfeit gods, to false gods, every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Counterfeit kings bring ruin to everything. The one true king brings redemption. How do I, as we close, how do I, how do I extricate the counterfeit kings from my life, from my heart, from my soul? How do I get... Get, how do I stop trying to be the counterfeit king of my own life and allow Christ to be the true king of my heart? How do I do that? Scripture says on uh, verse 11, Matthew 2, on coming to the house, the Magi saw the child with his mother and it says, and they fell down and they worshiped him. If you look at the, the, the word describing what worship is, they, they literally, I don't know if you guys can follow me on the cameras. They fell down 
They got, they fell down before him. The, the word worship means to go towards and to kiss. It's almost like they, they, they kissed the ground before him. They bowed their heart, their mind, their soul, their body. They said, you are our king. You are our king. We worship you. And there were no counterfeit kings in their heart, in their life, in that moment. Today, wherever you are, I want to I urge you. I want to call you. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you. I want to cajole you. I want to convince you. Bow your heart before the one true king. Worship him and him alone. Give your life to him. And I, again, I'm not just talking to non-Christians. I'm talking to Christians too. We have so many counterfeit kings in our heart, in our life. We try so hard to bring so many things into our life that will bring us some sense of value and worth, dignity and respect. And Jesus is saying, no, I am your true king. Let me into your heart. I've been anointed for you. I'm, your tr- I'm the only one that can bring you redemption. If you're watching us today, and you have never bowed your heart before the Lord Jesus and given him your life, I want to invite you to do it today. I want to invite you to open your heart and say, I've I've been trying. We used to have a song when I was a kid. When you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. When you tried everything, I've tried everything. (laughs) Everything failed. You don't have to do that. You can try Jesus first. That'll save you a lot of wreck and ruin and shipwreck and heartache and heartbreak in your life. Open your heart and say, Jesus, as we near Christmas, I'm I'm just going to give my heart to you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to serve you. Let us know. Put it on a connection card. There's one in the chat. There's one in the uh, description. Let us know. We will pray with you. We'll come around you. We will help walk you through the process of of living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you are not a part of a church family and, and you're watching this sermon today, Come and join us. Be a part. Membership at One Family Church means I'm committed to following Jesus and I'm going to do it here within the context of this congregation. That's all it means. I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him the king of my heart and I want to do it with these people. I want to invite you to do that today. If you've been a Christian a thousand years, but right now, right now, you're saying in your own heart, in your own life, yeah, (laughs) I got some counterfeit kings that are competing for the true king in my heart. I got some counterfeit kings that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm grasping, that I'm pulling on, that I'm reaching for, and none of them are bringing satisfaction. I want to invite you today, clear it out. Renew your commitment to Jesus. Say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, with my heart, soul, mind, and body. Let him be the true king of your soul. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. Your word is good. It's rich. It's powerful, Lord God. I just pray that we would pierce through, your word would pierce through all of the noise in our hearts and in our minds, all of the noise that we have generated ourselves, all of the counterfeit kings that we have bowed down and worshiped, all of the pride, all of the performance, God, all, all, all of the power that we seek, all of the, 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 even the good things, Lord God, that we pursue, that we think will bring us ultimate joy and hope and peace and satisfaction. But when we look at it, we realize now it's empty. We're walking around naked before you. We have no clothes. God, I pray right now that your presence, your spirit would draw us in, 
your spirit would draw us into you, would lead us and guide us, would clear our hearts and minds so that we could follow you with everything we've got. We could love you with heart, soul, mind, and body. We could bow down before you and kiss the ground before you and worship you for who you are. Father, I pray that this touches somebody today who desperately needs you. I pray that it touches all of us who desperately need you. And Father, I pray that ultimately this would be to your glory and to your power and to your praise. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.